0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 18 of the Brozane Detroit Pistons podcast, where brothers Alex and Carl Rosane like to overthink the Detroit Pistons. Hey
1: Carl, glad to be back. It's it's probably been too long since we've done one of these. Uh, There's been a huge amount of off-season activity, the draft, uh, free agency started, and we had a whole month's worth of free agency activity around the league happen in like three days. And uh, a little bit of that involved the Pistons, but... Uh, Probably not as much as we might have hoped, or as some fans might have hoped, let's say. First, let's talk about before free agency started, we had the draft. We drafted Stanley Johnson of Arizona, uh, someone that we had mentioned before, not least because he torched the Michigan Wolverines uh, when we played them, and that put him in our minds. Uh, Did you have any thoughts on Stanley Johnson?
0: I would have expected that we were, that he was one of the people we thought he was going to draft. And I know one of the only things that was interesting about our choice of him was that Justice Winslow was unexpectedly available for us and at the same position. So we could have drafted him. If that weren't the case, I don't think our pick would have been at all controversial. Uh, aside from that, like, what do you think about that comparison and, and how we did in that pick?
1: Well, I, I had the same feeling that a lot of people had during the draft, where it's like, As soon as Willie Colley-Stein was selected, it stood to reason that we were probably going to get Justice Winslow or Mario Hazonia or somebody like that. No, Hazonia was already taken, but we were going to get somebody we didn't expect to get. And Winslow was the guy who was available, and we didn't take him, and the Pistons are claiming up and down that Winslow wasn't even our next choice if uh, Johnson wasn't available. Uh, Devin Booker, who Phoenix ended up taking at number 13, the guy who people thought was the best pure shooter in the draft, a shooting guard. So I guess they you know they just weren't that into Winslow. Uh, and you,
0: it, yeah, and you have to think that they had some draft board ready, and it wasn't like oh they were like shuffling papers and panicked and forgot, didn't hadn't thought about <laughs> Justice Winslow. I'm sure that they deliberately wanted Stanley Johnson over Justice Winslow.
1: Yeah, it, I think you're right. Um, and so, you, you know, the the justification that I've heard for that is. Johnson is thought to be the better long-term prospect as a shooter. They shot a similar percentage from three in college, and actually Winslow shot a little better. I think it was like 41% versus 37% for Johnson. Um, But um, some work by Kevin Pelton of ESPN Insider um, shows that actually college three-point percentage alone is not that great a predictor of pro three-point Production In part because there's a lot smaller sample size. Guys don't play that many games. They don't shoot that many threes. So you can get have guys have a, a, a hot run of a couple of games and change their whole season's percentage. And if you, you have to take into account shooting percentage, uh, free throw percentage as well. And then there was this other post that I lost track of where I saw it. I couldn't find it before this. But where somebody looked at um, free throw percentage and two-point jumper percentage, um, and Johnson blew away... Uh, Winslow on both of those, so you know it's reasonable to believe that you know Johnson's going to be a guy who can reliably hit an open three sooner in his career than Winslow. Of course, there are no guarantees, and maybe neither of them will be good, um, or or they'll both be good, or whatever. But you know, from from that, I mean, that's just kind of interesting. And then they're both, you know, they're both really big small forwards, and you know, supposed to be good defenders, high motor guys winners so they seemed kind of the same there but you know maybe johnson projects to be an adequate shooter and winslow projects to be a struggling shooter i don't know i mean i you know we're just fans on the outside of this process and i don't know how to look at things like a scout does but that i so i've i've kind of talked myself into it being okay um from that standpoint
0: yeah and i we they also had a chance to they played against each other in the summer league and uh Winslow had better absolute numbers in that game but I actually thought that that um Johnson had showed a lot of maturity like he, he didn't kind of get baited into taking a lot of shots he he still he shot like 5 for 8 he didn't shoot in the fourth quarter uh he he's just been very efficient throughout the, all the summer league games he started getting double teams um and just didn't try to force anything he didn't he, like his ego wasn't like oh I'm playing the guy people are putting me up against I'm going to start to force a bunch of shots so you know that these are all very small things but just in watching a couple of games in the Summer League, is like he looked like the best player on the court, which is kind of fun, kind of cool.
1: Yeah, and uh, that, that guy Kevin Pelton from ESPN Insider did another analysis, uh, He or he linked to it, that he did a couple years ago about how do Summer League performances project to the pros. And what he was saying is that for veterans... You know, maybe a second-year player coming back—it has almost no predictive value at all because there's a very wide variation in how hard veterans try when they're in the summer league. Sometimes they won't really want to prove themselves and they kick ass. Sometimes they're insulted that they're being made to play and they loaf around. But rookies, he said, it's actually pretty predictive. It's it's or it's decently correlated or something like that. Um, shooting percentages are not that predictive because it's a small sample size and. Which is too bad because Johnson's been shooting really well. Yeah, but you know, rebounding and overall, you know, scoring and um, you know, steals and stuff like that. He said, you know, they they tell you something about their pro career. So, you know, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it would yes. have been really bad if Johnson had come into the summer league and laid an egg, and he didn't, and he he played really well.
0: Yeah, and and speaking of return performances not being predictive, I'm glad you said that because. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie really didn't look pretty good. He kind of looked uninspired and mediocre. So I, I, will just avert my eyes there and hope he can still be a serviceable backup point guard. Uh, for yeah,
1: I, I was disappointed too. My first impression of seeing Dinwiddie in summer league was that he, he looks really fit. Like he just looks very, you know, like he's in shape and muscular and and like he really came ready to play. But then, yeah, the way he played. He, it was almost you know it's like he was trying too hard or something it maybe it's hard for point guards or something because you're you're not running an offense or you 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 have all the other guys to pass to who aren't very good or something but yeah boy I, his production has not been good so
0: yeah and we uh, know Darren Hillier, Hilliard our second round pick looks good it looks pretty good I mean he, he was a pretty decent three-point shooter so uh, i I'm not I'm not super interested in what happens with him because it's, it's more of a long-term speculation thing. But he could be a good three-point shooter. Um,
1: and I think he's a decent size, you know, an adequate size for a shooting guard. He's not undersized. So, yeah, let's let's hope he sticks with the team and make, makes the roster. He could be our third-string shooting guard, you know, for a couple years until, until we see what we got in him. So that'd be good. Um, one more thing about John, uh, Stanley Johnson, um, uh, or two more things, I guess. One, if you look at a comparison between Johnson and Winslow's college numbers, what um, uh, Draft Express has this nice thing where they put everything on a pace-adjusted forty minutes basis, so you're not fooled by the fact that one team plays faster than another, has more possessions, and can put up bigger numbers. And basically, they're they're just really similar uh, guys in that, and, and you know Johnson took more shots um, and got to the free-throw line more. He was just asked to do more on offense, and he was a little bit less efficient uh, uh, in his percentages. He, he doesn't finish at the rim that well. So, you know, he kind of doesn't look like a, he's going to lead your team in scoring type of guy. But, you know, not every guy has to be like that. You know, they're both really good rebounders. Johnson's a little better. They both got over eight rebounds per 40 minutes as, at the small forward position. You know, similar in assists. Winslow's a little higher. Johnson had more steals. Winslow had more blocks. You know, so they're just they're just really similar. All the all the um, analytical analytics guys like 538.com, com, you know, Nate Silver's site, and uh, Kevin Pelton's projections. They all like Stanley Johnson, yeah, as like a top ten guy. So anyway, the but the, the last thing I wanted to say about Johnson is is his uh, something uh, I think Charles brought up last time it was on is, is his size i looked i looked at who were all the small forwards who played a decent amount last year in the nba at the small forward position um I, had, I i did something like i looked at each of the top you know three or four lineups in minutes on each team and just picked any the guy who was that small forward for each one johnson and just sort of lo- looked at their size their height and weight uh johnson is the, about the average height for a small forward, he's listed I think at uh, what was it six six? Yeah. Anyway, so Johnson's you know at the low end of normal, but a, a totally normal height. But he's off the charts in weight. Yeah. He, like there's only one, only one rotation player in the NBA last year uh, weighed more than Stanley Johnson, at, who played small forward a significant amount. One James Johnson of of uh, Toronto. Every the the and the other guys who weighed two forty, who are listed at two forty, shall we say, are um, Joe Johnson, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and uh, Boston's Jay Crowder. And then there's a few guys at two thirty five: Paul Pierce, Jeff Green.
0: And, yeah, and, and that's really what that. That's and really
1: Marcus Morris, the, by the way.
0: Oh, interesting. But but what's really but what's interesting to me about that is that it's, like his. He's not going to blow past you with his quickness, but he just can move you. And you, in, the, in the summer, again, this is just summer league, but he, there were times when he would rip down an offensive rebound and almost pull like a like a sort of just get underneath the guy and move him out of the way and go up and follow through. It almost He's moving people around like he's a power forward. And, he, and so that that's cool. And, and one thing that's always tough in transitioning to the NBA game is everyone's so much bigger. So if you're already bigger than everybody, uh, that's a good sign. You're not going to necessarily lose something there.
1: Yeah, and if you look at him, he looks cut. I mean, he—he he, that's not baby fat. That's making him 242 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it can go either way. It's like, oh, it's great. You know, he can be really physical. And and the other thing that Van Gundy said he really liked about him is he's a guy who could project to um, when he learns how rotate over and guard power forwards like Draymond Green did. Yeah, at the finals this year and stuff. So that's great. But it also makes you wonder, well, why aren't there any small forwards who are that big? Like, maybe it's a disadvantage to be 240 pounds uh, as an NBA small forward. And some of these guys I mentioned who are up near that weight, you know, Kevin Durant LeBron James, they, they you know, fit really well at power forward. LeBron James is a great power forward when he chooses to play that position and, and does it. He just doesn't care to. You know, Paul Pierce played power forward very effectively in the playoffs this year. Um Jeff Green is a tweener, and he kind of sucks at both positions, but maybe that's just a skill-level thing. So, you know, we we have to watch out for his mobility, I guess. Like, can he stay in front of um, Jimmy Butler and Tyreek Evans and, you know, J.R. Smith when he's playing small forward and stuff like that? So that'll be something to watch for. Luckily, we're not counting on him to start and, and, uh, you know, shut down the other guy. Um, we, We... We'll talk about some of the other moves we made. We drafted Stanley Johnson, and he will have time to get a lot of minutes, but not but come off the bench and you know ease into it a little bit.
0: Yeah, and why don't we just? I mean, I think one of the big topics is Reggie Jackson and the signing of him. But why don't we just stick at the small forward position? And when we think about Stanley Johnson's what what we're expecting of him this year, not a, not a whole lot, but he's backing up. We we traded for Marcus Morris and. The one thing that's in the back of my head is that Marcus Morris is sort of a little bit of a wild card. He's big, he's athletic. He has he has a uh, reputation for having a bad attitude. He really wants. He likes to play with his brother. He's like pissed that he's been separated from him. And I don't know. It just sort of seems like the kind of thing that could go wrong. Uh, so it makes me kind of feel good that we have a a be, like a solid backup. And the upside could be, hey, maybe Stanley Johnson is one of those diamond in the rough rookies who ends up being a starter if we had to. But. Why don't we talk about Marcus Morris a little bit, so that we, you know, how are we doing at small forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, so we we acquired him from the Phoenix Suns in a salary dump, as they call it. Phoenix Suns were trying to clear salary cap room to make a run at signing LaMarcus Aldridge, so they traded us Marcus Morris, uh, Danny Granger, whose knees are shot and is probably going to be waived by us, and... Um, Reggie Bullock, who is a—he's still on his rookie contract, and he wasn't able to get minutes for his the couple teams he's been on in the NBA. So, we're kind of taking a flyer on him. Marcus Morris was the headline piece there, and they just traded him into our salary cap space. We traded like some future protected second round pick, so basically nothing for him. You know, we, we're going to be paying him a little over five million bucks a year for the next couple of years, which is a real bargain for a starter, a guy who's going to be a starter. That's like the league average or below um, yeah. under this current arrangement. Now, you know, he, he's a guy who's come off the bench most of his career. Last year, was, he was 25 years old last year, where you generally start your prime. He played 25 minutes a game, and that was, uh, you know, he's, he started some games and came off the bench some games. Um, he, came out, he started 35 games and came off the bench for the rest of, he played 81 total games. And, you know, his... His numbers on kind of a per thirty six minutes basis scored fifteen points a game. Um, you know usage rate nineteen. So this is a guy that, that's that's below the twenty percent of the possessions where you're kind of pulling your weight. So he's a role player on offense, and um, the role he's going to play is at a minimum when you're open and someone passes you the ball, make a three. He's a career thirty six percent three point shooter. Um, which is i would say adequate um, you know not that's that's not that's not special but it's good enough so that you don't you know do the josh smith and say like no when he's going to shoot it um and his career that that's uh, similar to about 36 37% on corner threes which are usually people are a little better at that cuz they're typically wide open and um, the other thing is he's really big. Um, he's 69, 235. That's, as I just mentioned, very big for a small forward. That's actually the same size as er- height and weight as Ersan Sova, who's going to be our starting power forward probably. So more and, and um, according to 82games.com and Baseball reference, com's like whatever method they use for saying what position they played. He split about 50 50 playing small forward and power forward last year for Phoenix. So he played he can definitely play both. Who knows? Maybe he'll end up starting at power forward for us. But so that's that's basically everything we know about Marcus Morris on the court. Um, he he has a role to play. He can be physical on defense. Hopefully he can stay in front of guys even though he's very big for a small forward and,
0: and, and that's that. And how does it feel in terms of where we were last year? Does this feel like a... I mean, to have him be our starting small forward?
1: Oh, I think it's an upgrade at small forward. We were starting Quran Butler and Kyle Singler. Yeah. Um, uh, he'll be a better defender than Singler. Um, Singler had his moments of also being a, you know, a guy who can hit a wide open three. But he wasn't a lights-out shooter either. Um I think he'll be similarly efficient to Singler on offense, um, and he'll be a, a a better defender. He's just like a he's a better athlete.
0: Yeah, so I mean, if, if he didn't have this sort of attitude, there was some on the, NBA, the Detroit Pistons Reddit. Someone linked to a GIF of him like shouting. It appeared to be shouting at his at his coach. After he was really pissed about something, it wasn't clear whether he was just really upset or he was actually really like going after his coach. But I could imagine that, and Van Gundy, you know, I could imagine Van Gundy like benching him or something uh, if if he has a really terrible attitude. But we'll see. I mean, he's, he has an impending assault charge. Him and his him and his twin brother allegedly assaulted someone with some other guys after they had texted their mom or something like that. Like I mean, they're kind of a very like yeah, high school. He-
1: he literally might go to jail for punching someone for talking about his mom I <laughs> yeah mean,
0: exactly so I mean that's real a little, mature
1: Marcus yeah that's a little
0: um, uh, dicey but um,
1: now the reporting by the Detroit Free Press says that the the Pistons organization while they're tight lipped about the legal issues because it's a you know we don't comment on an on ongoing blah 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 they they're not worried about it they don't think it'll hold up. Um, it it sucks to have to be saying like oh well you know this this criminal charge against him is going to be dismissed or something you know that you don't want to be in that position at all but it sounds like the Pistons organization is not that worried about it we're not paying we're not paying him that much so even if it's a total bust it's not going to like ruin our team you know we didn't use all our salary cap on him or anything but I anyway the big picture for me is he feels like a major upgrade we're going from. Uh, playing made all of our minutes at small forward by guys who should, I guess, be rotation players to a guy who um, would be an awesome guy off the bench and is sort of an adequate starter. That's that's my gut feel about it. So it's like we have a legitimate NBA starter to play to play small forward, even though he's like a below average starter. Yeah,
0: and, and plus we needed us we needed a starting small forward. I think we had whiffed on Tobias Harris. Um, I think uh, reportedly we offered him a max uh, contract, and if we had gotten him, then I'm not. It would, it would have been interesting to think about how the do- dominoes would have fallen. Maybe, would we have still have gone after had enough money to give Reggie Jackson that huge contract? Or uh, anyway, we didn't get. So we, we whipped on Harris. Was there anyone else, to small forward, we were hoping? to well, I mean, we were.
1: Not really. I mean, like, LeBron James was a free agent. But, yeah,
0: you know. but, but that was one guy who we thought we might be able to get, we didn't. So, yeah, we, we needed to get, we really needed a small forward. So he, he, I am actually feel pretty pleased that we got a legit NBA starter on our roster <laughs> <laughs> because we haven't always yeah. had that luxury for yeah. of all of our I positions. Mean, you know, he, he, he's, not,
1: uh, he, we're, he's not a sure thing. He's he started 59 games in his NBA career. Um, out of two hundred and fifty. But he has started in the Western Conference for a team that was fighting for the playoffs. He has he has NBA size and he can he can hit it at wide open three, which is crucial. And this this actually reminds me to to say the big picture on what Van Gundy appears to be doing in building this team is having a laser focus on what parts do we need that fit together. So he's not going for the um, uh, Philadelphia 76ers' Sam Hinkie, or Boston Celtics' Danny Ainge route of just, like, acquire assets, get talented guys on tradable contracts, and just stockpile them. And eventually you'll be able to trade some combination of them for a star and then have your big two or big three. That's not the approach we're taking. What we're doing is we're, we're saying there's something we want to do on offense, and that's to have... Andre Drummond be a pick and roll threat and create space for him in the lane by having everyone else be good shooters. And everyone talked about, especially like, you know, patron saint of this podcast, Zach Lowe, was talking about how Monroe and Drummond are both good players, but they're both standing around clogging the lane and neither one of them can get out of the way and hit an open jumper. So we're just, we're going to do pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. And that's, that's our plan. And so it was really important that every guy we got be able to fit in with that plan. So that's how I see us taking Stanley Johnson over Justice Winslow. Johnson can hit an op projects to be more likely to be able to hit an open three. We get Marcus Morris. He can hit an adequate amount of open threes. We get Ersan Ilyasova from Milwaukee, um, adequately sized journeyman. He's been a career you know, started a little over half his games with Milwaukee. You know, he's scored, you know, 10, 13 points per game. Decent rebounder, but mainly his main skill, 37% career, three-point shooter. And he's had several years in the NBA, two years in the NBA where he shot over 44% from three.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so we, we have a plan, and we're following that plan. We're getting guys to close to reasonable contracts who completely fit into the our offensive machinery, and then who won't be disgraces on defense. And that's, that's I think, the thinking behind why we go with Reggie Jackson, even though um, Brandon Jennings started to come on and be a real sort of borderline all-star second half of last year. I mean, another reason to move on from Jennings is guys who rely on athleticism, it really hurts their career to tear their Achilles. But, um, you know, Jackson's Mr. Pick and Roll. Um, which we'll, we we can talk about in a second, but I mean, does that does that sound right to you? Like we're just like we're following a plan and we're not going with the stockpile assets and get a big three thing. We have our we have Drummond. That's the best guy we're ever going to get. We God, I hope he turns into an all NBA guy because we're betting the farm on him.
0: Yeah, and we have um, yeah, and it, it makes sense also in and. Not going after Monroe, letting him sign the qualifying, and then saying, seeing him, wishing him farewell as he joins the Bucks, uh, which was interesting. I'm happy for him; he got maxed out. Um, but yeah, we, having both of them on the team just didn't feel like a great short-term fit, even though they're both very skilled players. And last year, Monroe was our best offensive player. Like losing him hurts, but uh, Illesova does feel like um, a better. I mean, because there were times last year where having Tolliver and felt better. Like, you know, being able to swing it around and Tolliver hitting open threes. There, there, there were games where that just felt great. And it was almost like Drummond and Monroe were uh, switching, being the guy who have who, who uh, you know, Drummond's a little bit I mean, Monroe is a little bit more skilled in the, in, in, as a post player, but, you know, Dr- Drummond's shooting range is his arm length and you, you can't you, that you can only have, if you have one guy like that you need to surround him by people who can really space the floor. So I agree. Uh, you want to get the kind of chris paul deandre jordan kind of pick and roll thing going i mean obviously neither of them are as good as that those people but um uh, yeah i mean drummond really could be hope we we think he could be better than deandre jordan and deandre jordan was just getting fought over over a max contract um
1: definitely and just just to add to your your good point about how our offense just worked better with anthony tolliver last so anthony tolliver let's just you know be realistic about what he is he's He's a journeyman NBA player with a below average, you know, ratings across the board who has trouble making rosters and getting minutes. But he can he can make threes, and he's a power forward. Yeah. Our yeah. offense was seven points per hundred possessions better with him on the floor than off the floor last year. And that's not a perfect comparison. You know, he played with other guys too. But, like, having our – the offense that Van Gundy wants to run where we – like, we're not clogging the lane in a – yeah, let's. I guess let's just be explicit about the threat we're trying to create. We're trying to have something where the point guard runs a pick-and-roll with Drummond, and then Drummond sprints towards the rim. And then that creates chaos on defense, where um, the, the guy who's supposed to be guarding Drummond just got a pick set on him. Or, I'm sorry, Drummond just set a pick. And the guy who was guarding him has to worry about, is the guard going to shoot or get to the rim? And meanwhile, Drummond's going to the rim. All the rest of the defense has to decide what to do. Do they sag into the lane and try to stop him from catching an alley oop, or do they stay out at their guy at the three point line? Yeah. When you have three point shooters, it creates a lot of space in there. Um, Dallas had a had the best offense in the league for the first third of the season last year, just by having a bunch of journeyman point guards run pick and rolls with the very deadly Tyson Chandler on pick and rolls on offense, and he just you just throw it near the rim and he dunks it. Yeah. And I expect to see that ten times a game this year. It's, about, it's all about having enough space to have the, the help defenders be in a real crisis about what to do. Do I leave a three-point shooter open, or do I let Drummond dunk it?
0: Yeah, and and um, going on the Tolliver-Illosova comparison, I think you call Illosova a rich man's Tolliver. And that's true. I mean, he's like Tolliver who can handle... He's more of a starting caliber player. He, had with the usage over 20, had a 110, 111 offensive rating last season. And, you know, that's he shot 38%. He could potentially shoot... If he's, if, he's on, if he's on a roster where that's really creating, trying, trying to create open threes for people, he can he shoot over 40. So that can be a big piece of it. Um, one thing that comes to mind in that pick and roll thing is that, again, uh, it's, it's funny how I feel like Zach Lowe might write 100 words a year about the Pistons, but they're always the best 100 words, I, even among, uh, maybe I shouldn't say, but pardon the uh, full-time uh, Pistons pundits including ourselves uh, I just feel like he has so much insight about every team it's amazing that what he says about the Pistons is always so interesting he was saying that that combination of Reggie Jackson, Drummond, and Illa would have been devastating three years ago but teams have gotten a lot better at not worrying about trying to fight over screens when the point guard is not a good three point shooter so what that says is okay here's our plan Reggie Jackson gets a pick set uh, Drummond sets a pick um, What what, what, is, what does he do? Uh, does he fight over the pick and create chaos well instead of trying to fight over and stick to reggie jackson he says hey take the three and he he hangs back and then their defense stays intact so therefore the whole plan is a little bit shot um so a big question to me is can reggie jackson uh creep up toward the high 30s and so he so if the guy leaves him open and challenges him he says sure i'll drill an open three 38 of the time 40 percent of the time
1: yeah it's that's a good point i mean we're Reggie Jackson shot 29% from 3 last year, but he had a couple months at the end there where he had like in March we played 15 games, he shot 39% from 3. And yeah. he had an all that was his only month where he had an all-star level offensive rating. Um, in terms of just efficiency, he always has a very high usage rate where he that's one thing he can do for you is he can create shots. Yeah, um, for good or for bad, and that's that's been our concern about him.
0: So yeah, and speaking of a guy who can use a lot of usage, another way of just kind of cherry picking stats that can rationalize our excitement for Reggie Jackson. I was looking at among point guards after the All Star break who had a, a usage percentage over twenty five, which is pretty high. Uh, Reggie Jackson was uh, ninth best, ahead of Damian Lillard and Jamal Crawford, behind guys like Tyreek Evans, Harden, Isaiah Thomas. Westbrook, Kyrie Irving, Lou Williams, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. So, I mean, that gives you a hint that if he can just, if, so he's capable of creating offense enough that he can use that much offense. If he can actually be the guy who can shoot 35% or better from three-point line, he could, he could, live, he could definitely, he could be an all-star. And I think that's what Van Gundy sees and why he got the uh, 80 million-dollar contract.
1: I think that's right. That, that's really the main thing that people are holding on to. The last. The last two months of the year, just sort of 20 plus games, um, you know, he averaged 17, 18 points, um, four to five rebounds, nine 10 assists, um, and shot, you know, shot pretty well. So it's like, okay, well, so we have this 24 year old guy who, or he's 25 now, had a really hot end of the year. Is it really. It, the, let's talk about. There's the good Reggie Jackson and the bad Reggie Jackson. The good Reggie Jackson is. He finished the end of the year really hot. At the time when he got to run the offense, Jennings was gone, um, and we, you know, he got to just do that pick and roll with Drummond.
0: And Monroe was actually injured for a stretch of that as well, so we got to see kind of like the more spaced Pistons during a lot more of that.
1: Good. That's a great point. Yes, and then um, Synergy Sports, which uh, I think. They Are they the ones that run the SportVue cameras? Anyway, they, they sort of break down things play by play. They had a, a tweet last week that showed, here's the most productive pick-and-roll scorers and shot creators of last season. And they had points scored um, uh, by the ball handler on pick-and-rolls and points created via pass-outs by the ball handler on pick-and-rolls. Reggie, ja- Reggie Jackson's time in Detroit, he was the best in the league at both of those. Chris Paul was second at both of those. Um, and, and he on points scored, he was by far the best. He was 10.7 instead of 8.4 points for Chris Paul. So what that means is what, we, what we've talked about before, he's really good at getting to the basket and hitting a layup on pick and roll. So he's a real threat to turn the corner, and that's what puts Andre Drummond's man in, in trouble Is um, is if you don't stay in front of him, he can get to the rim and score. We'll have to see. What does the hang back and let and try to dare him to shoot a three strategy get you? Um, he he really has to be able to hit an adequate percentage of those. And and Van Gundy must be really confident in that. Um, talking about the bad Reggie Jackson, you know he he it's not really bad. It's just most of his his big numbers that he's putting up. You know, nineteen points, ten boards or ten ten assists, putting up some triple doubles, putting up a twenty twenty game. A lot of that just comes from using a lot of possessions. He has the ball in his hand a lot, and he, he shoots a lot. And, he, and he, um, a lot of his um, plays end in either assists or turnovers. And, you know, thinking about a $16 million a year contract, the first couple years of that, that's really high. The last couple years of that, that's actually not that high, and that's more like Brandon Jennings' contract. So it's just very hard to wrap your mind around whether this is a, a big deal or not. But you know, um, I I had a little bit of Twitter Twitter interaction with folks last week about what are what were our point guard options. Ty Lawson was also on that list of, of great pick and roll guys, and uh, he makes twelve million a year, and he's on the trading block, and we had some cap room and some assets to maybe get him. I have no idea whether he was an option. And then you know, uh, Jeremy Lin. Uh, is what was just signed for less than $3 million a year. He's not as good a player as Reggie Jackson. Uh, and especially on defense, Jackson has is quick and has freakishly long arms and has a lot of potential there, and he's a little younger. But if you look at their career numbers, Jackson and Lynn, they're almost identical. And I do think Jackson's better. I would not argue that Lynn is as good as Jackson. But... Uh, you know they both if you got kind of their career numbers on a per hundred possessions basis so you take out if they were on a team that played for uh, at a faster pace they're both around 22 points, eight, eight or nine assists uh, uh, around two steals Lynn had over two Jackson has under two steals. They both have a lot of turnovers both around four but Lynn had more. They're both uh, the, the, the Jackson shoots 30 percent from three Lynn shoots 35 percent from three. You know, I'm not saying we should have gone out and gotten Lynn, but like, gosh, um, Jeremy Lin plus 12 more million dollars of uh, of cap room to use or something like that. my you know, you have to think about that. My where I come down at the bo- bottom line is I trust Dan Gundy, and and we we have a laser like focus on having the offensive plan that we need work. But we're we're seeing what we're seeing is potential here. We haven't he hasn't actually achieved very much other than a very hot. 16 to 20 game stretch for us.
0: Yeah, I think it also comes down to when you're a, when you're a non big market team, you got to make your moves at some point. Van Gundy's here for five years, and then he probably will retire. Uh, he can't sit around and, and manage assets like we. So we maybe manage assets better and don't give Jackson that big contract. Then what? I mean, we couldn't get Tobias Harris this off season, right? So who are we going to get? What are we saving up for? So you got to pick the guys that you can get. Um, one point I've seen made is that well, no, was anyone was anyone bidding that up? Was anyone sign? It was not like we were matching to sign Reggie Jackson for 80 million. We could have tried to we, we could have tried to squeeze him for a 75 million or a 70 million dollar contract. But then maybe he says, "Well, screw you guys. I'm going to pull up Monroe, sign the qualifying offer, and then but, uh, best slash worst case scenario, he has a great season and we're like crap, and then he goes somewhere else." Uh, but I guess. So you've got to bet on the positive in some way. We're betting that he's going to be good. If we think he's going to be bad, then obviously it's, it's a bummer because we just signed him for a five-year, $80 million contract. Um, so I don't know. But I, I, I can see why we're going with it. It feels like we're going for it right now. And um, uh, at the yeah, same time, it, it,
1: it, it doesn't feel good to be on everybody's like free agency losers list because you signed a guy <laughs> to a contract that everyone in the league says, wow, that much? That's five to ten million dollars more than he could have gotten you know a guy who was a restricted free agent so we, we could have matched any offer anyone else made to him and no one would have offered him that much so you're right we're we were really making damn sure we avoid the um, he's playing for one year for the qualifying offer and he has hurt feelings I just sort of have the sense that Jackson is kind of a a sensitive guy and he he, he really wants his team to Show that he want they want him, and he was really annoyed uh, at Oklahoma City for how they treated him and stuff like that. So maybe it's the kind of thing where you, if you have Reggie Jackson on your team, you either want him, where you're paying him what he wants, or you don't want him at all because he he's not worth it. While, while he's well, I mean, playing,
0: sad. That said, I mean, he turned down a. Uh, apparently, he was offered a like a four year, like forty eight million dollar, twelve million dollar a year contract to be the backup point guard. For Oklahoma City, so it's not like we're so far off. I mean, I would have felt more comfortable paying him about that much. But if he turned that down to be a backup uh, in Oklahoma City, you'd think we are going to pay some amount of premium. So really, it's yeah. just a matter of we, we maybe we could have eked it out. If if we had gotten him for seventy, we probably wouldn't have been on that losers list, you know. But you know, we're that, too- that's true, and and it's not like.
1: It's not like all of that money, unlike what I said a minute ago, it's not like all that money was dollar for dollar available as cap room. We're going above the salary cap to sign him because you're allowed to go above the cap to sign, re-sign your own players. It's called their Larry Bird rights, um, uh, a salary cap rule named after Larry Bird. So, you know, we would have had a little bit more flexibility under the tax line. We would have had more cap room next year. But next year, everyone's going to have epic cap room. Like, almost every team's going to have enough room to sign a max guy. And, you know, if every team has – or 25 teams have enough room to sign a max guy, are the Pistons going to get them? No. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, the guys like Monroe pick a, a winning situation in Milwaukee rather than a losing situation with the Lakers or whatever. But, you know, and hopefully we will have a winning situation. But, yeah, I guess – Well, the winning situation they, is with sick time. You know
0: what's that the winning situation is with reggie jackson we couldn't have like right of, you know avoided doing that and gotten someone like lynn and then we probably would have been more like hedging our bets in mediocrity waiting for something good to happen
1: right we we'll have to yeah we, we can't um have our cake and recruit him too or something you know we, we have to we you're like you said we have to make our move at some point so in the end i've kind of talked myself into this even though i had to think through like did we have better value options or whatever you know, what you mentioned before, Carl, about Van Gundy has this, like, really strict, limited time frame. He said publicly, like, I promised my wife I would not do anything in the NBA after this five-year thing ends. Or maybe he didn't say it that strongly, but he's not going to coach after that time. Um, I wonder if we're ever going to regret that we have this specific time frame where he has an end date, where he kind of doesn't care what happens after this. I don't know. He, I wonder if we'll, this will end up being a liability in a couple years where we're just going all in during the time when he's here. We're making hay while the sun shines. Um, but that, that being said, um, you know, with all, with all these moves, we have two new starters, Ilyasova and Marcus Morris. We have Reggie Jackson on board. So I've, I've made this preliminary projection based on just, like, allocating the minutes among the guys on our roster and thinking about are they going to improve or get worse from last year and so forth. And I'll probably update this before the – as the offseason goes on, maybe we'll sign a couple more guys to fill out our bench, blah, blah, blah. But I've got us at 41 wins for next year, 41.4.
0: What had you projected us last year? Do you remember? Um,
1: Last last year, I think I I came pretty close to right on. I said 38. Okay.
0: Last year. So that was very close. What do we have?
1: Let's see. Let's just get the number right. We were at 32 last year. But we were – um, we were probably a 38 win quality team last year. Um, I mean, I may, this sounds like I'm engaging in spin for my projection, but we were about that quality. And then Jennings got hurt, and then we started, quote, playing the young guys a little bit to, you know, so we just didn't hurt our draft so much and so forth. So, what I. You know, and plus these projections are, are BS anyway. It's, it's not like I know what's going to happen. But if we just take, if we just say like, if the guys plug in and do exactly what they did last year, which they won't, because they all they're all parts that fit together in Van Gundy's scheme, and coaches can affect defense and all this stuff. But even if if they did, what's a baseline expectation? The expectation is we got, um, you know, a little over three wins better.
0: So to me, that's last year, we did a podcast like that talking about it, and I remember you had projected us at thirty nine wins, and we had sort of rationalized for those very reasons us being better than that. And I think you were saying like forty two wins, and I was kind of being like, well, maybe forty eight wins, and you know it was completely wrong, and we were we were bad, really bad last year. So I actually really respect that as a baseline projection. i maybe we should be if we had a forty two wins, season and the Eastern Conference remains is uncompetitive and we actually are a sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, uh, maybe we would be happy with that. Like If, if like if we had, uh, over the course of the season, we have some hot streaks where we look really good, we have some streaks where we look really bad, and we end up with 42 wins, we go into the playoffs in the, as a sixth seed, and then maybe we're riding a hot streak and we actually feel like we're competitive and can win the first round. That might be like a realistic, hopeful season versus us trying to spin it up to thinking we're somehow going to be a 50-win team or something like that.
1: Right. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that, yeah, it, it sort of tempers our enthusiasm a little bit. The wild cards here are, one, we, we have guys that are, our roster is designed to all work together well. And that really matters. You know, that's how, um, you, like, chemistry matters, having parts that fit together matters, a complementary skills and all that, Reggie Jackson being a great pick-and-roll offensive, like, there's no dispute. Whatever our concerns are, he really is good at running the pick and roll. Drummond really is an elite threat at finishing pick and roll. All the other guys really are adequate to good at shooting threes. So it all just fits together. We really could be better than the projection. The 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 whole could be some greater than some of the parts. The second wild card is, at any time, Drummond could just take a take a step up to the next level. So it's like. We're we're a we're a, about a five hundred team right now, if Drummond plays about the same as last year, and he's twenty two years old this year. Guys have a very steep improvement at the at this age. Um, it could happen this year, or next year. It could happen in three years, um, and we just don't know. He could never get better. He could just you know piss his career away or get hurt or maybe he's not as good as we thought he was. But I mean, the, he. He's just an insane player in terms of you know he was I think the second half of the year he averaged like 15 points 14 rebounds a game at age 21 I mean that's just unheard of that's Moses Malone type stuff
0: yeah actually you're, yeah I think Alex you're getting me uh, back back more on the optimistic side I, I actually I think second half of the year after the All Star break I think it was more like 18 and 13 or something um, and and that's the kind of season that. Like if he he could he could have a breakout season where he's like 16 and 16 kind of guy or something like that. Um, so between that also KCP he he could start shooting threes like he does at home all the time. Uh, that um, that would be last year we were really hoping he would get better. So yeah, there's there's reasons to believe like I would not rule us out from being a top four or five Eastern Conference team next year. Um, but I would I I've learned I mean having done this podcast for a full season now and really look, and, and really tracing our enthusiasm last year, um, we're I guess we're making the same kind of enthusiastic jumps to say, oh, we think KCP will get better, we think Drummond will get better, but we also have more pieces around that, which we didn't last year. We also didn't... The other thing we didn't anticipate last year, though, was that Jennings was going to get way better. So we had an unexpected uh, boon. That was really the, what drove our success. So it's hard to know, but... Um, the pieces are in place, and there's a vision behind it. And um, there's, a, there's a, I mean, I'm certainly very excited. I'm sure we'll have another podcast to kind of dust off these projections as we get close to our first game of the season.
1: October 29th was our was our first game last year, so late, you know, late October.
0: Okay, so when, so yeah, when October comes, I'm sure we're going to have another episode before then to really kind of, really fully reevaluate our, all the pieces. But at this moment, it is, it does feel like we weren't able to really like. Get some really big signing that we didn't expect, but we're, we're making good moves. We got a good draft pick. It was a very strong draft, uh, and it'll be really interesting to see.
1: Yeah, we, we have NBA players at every position. Uh, we have we have parts that fit together. I think that, yeah, I mean, gosh, 41 wins just feels like our floor. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like um, we will probably win somewhere in the low 40s. 38 wins wouldn't shock me, and that would be a real disappointment. But if the you know we have some injuries, some parts don't fit together, we have some personality clashes, um, turns out somebody sucks who we don't think who we didn't expect, that wouldn't shock me. But you know, 49 or 50 wins wouldn't shock me either. It would that that was that like that first year that Rick Carlisle got the got the Pistons back into playoff contention, back in the early O's or. Um, that was what Dallas did last year, or that's what you know Toronto won forty nine t- times last year. We could be that good if Drummond takes a step forward, or something else, or Jackson's as good as um, Van Gundy and Jackson think he is. So he, it's just a real wide range, and, and you know, I mean, yeah. And, we're our, and our an hour just to say we have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> next year.
0: But our team fits the strategy inside out. Good three point shooters, good pick and roll. Uh, it should be exciting. Yes. So, why don't we, at that note, why don't we wrap up? Um, I will say if you like this podcast, give us a rating on iTunes. You'll be one of the first 10 people to do so, and it can make a big impact. And tell your friends. Uh, If if you're a big Pistons fan, uh, I I think you'll you'll be hard pressed to find people who think about the Pistons as much as Alex and I. So, please give us a listen and tell your friends.